the quest for the elusive Holy Grail. Warrior monks, the heretical dangerous doctrines of underground secret societies, the descendants of Christ living, breathing, walking among us, the need to balance the masculine and feminine in today's culture, and secret knowledge hidden in plain sight. The characters, the Harvard professor, the beautiful French princess who doesn't even know it, the self-flagellating assassin monk, published 20 years ago. The phenomena that is Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code has, has brought what would otherwise be a lot of esoteric questions to the surface of our minds. And I'd like to give what insight I can uh, on these fantastic, wonderful topics. I'm Stevie Sharanga. I was a Hindu monk for 10 years living at an ashram on top of a hill in Scotland, where we worship God as a divine couple, uh, Radha and Krishna, by monotheism. So what am I doing doing a podcast? I'm trying to um, begin to share uh, my experiences of being a monk and I'm attempting to articulate and express them, something that I haven't done before. Uh, I'm hoping that uh, one day I might be good enough to, to talk to a live audience instead of just uh, sitting here in my shed in the back garden, which I think is an old coal bunker, uh, just talking to myself. Uh, I'm not in any way uh, an official spokesperson for um, any religious organization and not even the religious organization of which I'm a member. And the views I express are entirely my own. So I'm uh, behind the time, as usual, uh, 20 years behind the times. Uh, uh, da Vinci Kurt came out uh, in um, 2000. And three, I believe, and the film came out in 2006. So, uh, yeah, like with anything that's, um, you know, becomes immediately popular, fashionable, trendy, I, 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 by impulse, just avoid. I just avoid it. Uh, you know, um, if there's like a one-hit band with a one-hit wonder, I'm not interested. You know, um, if someone can produce a good album, I, I'm, 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 I'm more interested. But um, Anyway, yeah, who, who, when, when all these things become popular in, in the first instance, who's to say whether it's just a kind of a, a fad, you know? So uh, I, didn't, I didn't read the Da Vinci Code back in the day when it came out, and uh, not long after, I went into the monastery. So uh, in the monastery, you know, there's, uh, you could say censorship, but it's, you know, the reading is, the there's no books in the library that aren't from the religious tradition, and, and why should there be, you know? Um, so, uh, I just, um, studied the books, the scriptures, the Hindu scriptures for, um, about 16 years and, uh, and now I'm, uh, you know, brought it in, brought it in my horizons. I read, I read the Da Vinci Code last summer. I was on holiday, um, uh, my wife's dad's place and he had it on the shelf and I've always, you know, been intrigued by it, like 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 we all have been. You know, um, so uh, I picked it up, and uh, oh god, yeah, I, I I think I read it in a, maybe three days, two days. I just I just come just you know, it was so exciting, such a roller coaster ride, the, the, you know, constantly being chased, 
um, by uh, by the police and everyone. So exciting. And I've always thought I'd like really like to kind of talk about a lot of the things um, that are mentioned in the book and how they relate to my own experiences of Hinduism and my own experiences of um, Druidry and other esoteric things I've, I've gotten into before or after being a monk. A couple of years ago, a friend of mine, uh, Mihai from Romania, he's, uh, he, he, he was um, uh, living, living in my community here uh, and he took, us, he took us to Roslyn Chapel. Uh, he was a Freemason. Uh, he's grown up in the Freemasons. He said he was a kid going along to some meetings, didn't know what they were, later found out they were Freemason meetings. And uh, yeah, in fact, we were just going over there to pick up a pick up a cot. Uh, I was getting a cot for my uh, baby um, on Facebook Marketplace over near Roslyn Chapel. So I thought we'd pop in. And I had a great time. We we went in there. We caught the last tour of the day. Uh, my friend Mihai refused to pay. I I I got the wallet out. I paid to get in, and he just flashed his Freemason badge and said, um, "Look, I'm a Freemason. This is this is my." place of worship you know like a like someone of the faith if you're not a tourist if you're of the faith you don't usually pay to go in a church if it's you're going in there to to actually worship um but yeah i mean he won't tell me anything about his his freemasonry i've asked him loads of questions uh he's completely stumped won't tell won't tell me anything at all about rituals or whatever it is they do in the freemasons but i could see from um you know the fact that they'd actually built a special um tourist reception center there at Roslyn Chapel uh and 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 you know all of all the tourists who were there could say wow this is this is amazing you know so popular um, and and such longevity um you know uh since the book was out uh, it, it's still it's still going strong the interest that it's awakened is is qu- quite amazing quite amazing and then it was just uh, a few months ago, uh, and I was, I, I was I've been trying to do this talk uh, a couple of times. I, this is my third recording, actually. I wasn't happy with the previous two, but um, I was just in my local Tesco supermarket, and they've got a secondhand charity bookshop there. And I was just passing by. I usually check check what what they've got there. You know, um, put a pound in the uh, donation tin, and uh, yeah, lo and behold, there it was again, an, another copy, Da Vinci Code. American edition together with Holy Blood, Holy Grail. So I thought, oh, these these are meant for me. So I I got them both and uh, put a little donation in. And uh, I've not actually read that Holy Blood, Holy Grail. I flicked through it, had a little look. I actually watched, did watch one of the uh, films, uh, documentary films that they made based on on that book. Um, that was quite 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 uh, going into it. So it's really digging down into into these topics um but it was interesting to get the american copy of the da vinci code um as well and i yeah i was in new york in uh year 2000 and picked up a copy of um harry potter first harry potter philosopher's stone from the bookshop that was at the bottom on the ground floor of the world trade center in the year 2000 and um yeah yeah because because in america it, it, it the the name they changed the name from the philosopher's stone to the sorcerer's stone um 
Because like a, f- a philosopher's stone, that's it's to do with alchemy, isn't it? What like something that changes something that's material into something spiritual, or otherwise, you know, turning alchemy turning base metals into gold. And alchemy also, it's about this elixir of life that's supposed to give immortality. So yeah, I find these 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 topics, you know, running through our culture, this intrigue, these questions and mystery, the mystery of life. You know, is there a, is 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 there some you know is 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 you know religion? Is it is it true? You know, is there something divine or or is it all just um, you know just a lot of hodgepodge. I mean, we've had the the Holy Grail um, done by Monty Python, and then we've had Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. I really like that film, and uh, at the end, Indiana Jones he gets he, he gets to the passes the tests and uh, meets the the old knight, and uh, there's uh, so many different expensive cups and chalices there and he he really realizes yeah you know i'm looking for a carpenter's cup it's not a big fancy golden chalice and he and he gets he gets the cup and he and he uses it and it has its his healing powers it it, it um saves his, his father's life sean connery healing his bullet wound there but of course that's you know key in keeping with this this idea that it's um the holy grail is a, is a cup or a chalice um, which is this 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 theory is is changed, isn't it? Changed in the, in the book, the Holy Blood, Holy Grail, that it's actually the bloodline, um, and that and and, and the, the whole the, the, you know this isn't revealed in Dan Brown's book until you know a good way into it, um, and and Sophie's uh, you know she's she's putting across. Yeah, I thought it was a, a cup, you know. And and he's like, well, maybe maybe it isn't, you know, maybe it's something else. Um, but uh, yeah, my my take on it is different. I I think the Holy Grail, the quest for the Holy Grail, is is um, like like you had this guy uh, Percival, Sir Percival, and he was he spent his whole lifetime searching for the Holy Grail. So for me, anyway, it's not it's not something um, that we might ever. Fine. I, d- I don't think it's an object. The point is that he was on a quest, and that in trying trying to find something, trying to search for something, then that is better than not doing anything, just staying at home, you know, getting bored. Um, it's that's, so that's that's basically just a, you can boil that down to the value of, of goal setting. You've got a goal, and in attempting to achieve your goal, you may fail, but you're le- you're going to learn a lot on the pr- in the process. But the receptacle that is the Holy Grail, I I, th- I think that, that that that's that's each one of us. We're all a um, uh, the the point is that we've got to try and make ourselves the suitable receptacle to receive the message of God, and that's something that's available to everybody. It's it, it's not the privilege of someone who's in a in a, a holy um bloodline it's we're, we're this is the potentiality of 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 all human life is to receive receive god's mercy receive god's message and so and, and and our and our role in that is to make ourselves ready and suitable and 
um, open and uh, make ourselves, you know, you know, ready to receive receive that. So we we are the holy grail. Each one of us is is a is a ho- is a potential holy grail. So we need to you know cultivate piety and be honest in our dealings and straightforward and um, and 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 sincere in our prayer and um, and I had some experience of this. Um, I remember when I joined the monastery uh, in two thousand six when I was twenty six, and it, it was. Although it wasn't explicitly stated, it, it it was I was I was made to understand that I was expected to be like a, um, an open book, you know, a blank slate, like an like an empty cup. When I arrived, I I, I was um, I I was ex, it was ex, I, could, I understood that it was expected of me that I should be ready to receive whatever teachings were to be given to me and. Although I was I was only twenty six, uh, which is quite young, it, it was even mentioned that um, that you know maybe I was already a little bit too old um, to uh, to begin the teach to begin the training. Like um, yeah, like they prefer they were actually you know specifically preferring and aiming for younger novice monks to join in their late teens or early twenties, uh, preferably. You know, because more the brain is still more spongy, and um, you know, ready to absorb and um, the information, and um, be, you know, young people are more impressionable. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's like Yoda, isn't it? Yoda in Star Wars, he says to Luke Skywalker, "Ah, oh, you know, too young. Uh, no, no, too old. Sorry, too old." Too old to begin the training. Too old, like that. And so that was part of my sacrifice was to let go of a lot of old ways of thinking and old habits and old acquaintances and um, sacrifice them all and just you know turn over a new leaf, a new chapter of life at the monastery, and see where it where it would take me. See what would happen as a as an experiment and um and so I, I i went along with that and um so we would i did a lot of work uh, a lot of work in the in laboring in the gardens and uh up early every morning at half past four um for four hours of um, meditation and uh, singing hymns and uh, listening to class every morning in the temple and by spending so many hours and deep in meditation and prayer um asking god to you know show me show me the way to asking god to guide me and you know you know put to me what he wants me to do um with my life asking god how i can serve him then I feel I've received God's grace and God's mercy and guidance in in the <clears throat> the life I've led. And although the particular circumstances of, of my journey um, and may, are not necessarily available to to everyone, still the principles are the same. Uh, I think life in the monasteries 
you could say like, like throwing yourself in the deep end or like the um like in the fast track fast in the fast lane to um it's kind of intense it's intense um an intense attempt to try to connect with god and although you know intensity is isn't isn't how you connect with god it's, it's sincerity um which which pleases god but still for those young men who've got a lot of energy to burn it's a it's a it's a great way to um it's a great way to you know pass those years i mean yeah i i was uh you know in used to i wasn't a bad boy but i used to do a few naughty things in my youth and um you know uh heaven forbid where i would be now if i hadn't have spent these 16 years in the monastery um i i thank i thank the the monks for you know safely delivering me into middle age um i've avoided you know i've avoided a lot of late night parties a lot of embarrassment i've avoided a lot of drunkenness and drugs and things um yeah safely delivered um uh, and i'm settled now with a family and children um so I couldn't, I couldn't ask for more, and I couldn't have, I couldn't have planned it better if I'd have tried to to organise and arrange all that myself. It's, I consider it all to be um, the Lord's arrangement, all God's mercy that what has transpired in my life has has, has transpired because I've I've tried, I tried before before as a monk to get these things um, such as a wife that I that I wanted, but it, I couldn't by my own desire didn't manifest but instead i put my own selfish wants and desires aside this was the experiment that the the monks recommended put don't put yourself first try to put god first so i said okay i've I've put myself first you know for this first 26 years and it, to be honest it's been an up and down roller coaster ride you know um I'll, I'll i'll go on then i'll i'll, I'll try it i'll try it i'll, I'll say okay St stevie shaw number two god number one i'll put god first i'll try to serve god and we'll we'll do an experiment we'll see what happens and um it, and it worked out uh it worked out um swimmingly it worked out swimmingly yeah i couldn't have planned it better even if i tried and i did try and, and it didn't work out i left it up to god and God's looked after me, so I, I thank him for that. So next, let's talk about um, the character uh, Silas, the, the warrior assassin monk. Um, so he's, yeah, I mean, he's lived, he's lived a, a, a horrible life, living, um, he, isn't it, in Marseille. Uh, he's, uh, he, thought, he thought he was, he thought of himself as a ghost, he, 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 I think his, his dad was beating his wife. I mean, his, 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 his dad was beating his wife, who was his mother. And then he, he murders his dad and then goes on the run. And he's, he's an albino, so people treat him awful. He's begging on the streets. He ends up in the prison. And because he's, he's not had any social interaction um, in, in all of those you know years living on the street, people freaking out because he's albino and then he, he gets arrested 
and uh, but then there's an earthquake and uh, a boulder smashes open his prison cell and he he he, he runs for it and then when he eventually catches up with this this priest who becomes like a surrogate father and he 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 gives him the name Silas from this this um bible from the bible verse the stone has been rolled aside and you have been born again a prisoner named Silas he had been given flesh born with no name thought himself a ghost so that's like the the resurrection isn't it the, the story of Jesus a stone rolled rolled aside and this is a um a motif a similar motif that runs through a lot of religions um in terms of being kind of baptized or initiated um and this this kind of enactment or ritualistic um going through the motions of of like dying and being reborn um yeah i watched a i watched something on youtube about the freemasons and uh they 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 really play on that in their initiation ceremony with um someone having to new member having to lie down in a coffin they put a noose around his neck a black bag over his head to really get to really kind of push that home that you know death and then a, re, a rebirth a new a new person um, is is born again and of course as well you know in in christianity you've got born again christians um and my own experience of of a kind of rebirth um, is that I I did feel quite quite dead before I I returned to religion. Um, I kind of was brought up around. I mean, my parents weren't religious at all, but the church, the school was a religious a church school. Pretty much all of the schools back then with either church schools or affiliated to some kind of religion um and uh yeah i remember um when i was a small kid though there was a competition it was an easter competition to fit as many things as you could into a matchbox and my dad took it up uh, with a lot of enthusiasm and fitted about 250 things into a matchbox he won the competition and then i and then at the school assembly, I got presented with um, a chocolate egg. No, not a chocolate egg, a chocolate bunny rabbit. And um, they called me up and I was like, oh my God, just looking at it, it was like a huge, you know, almost life-size, like a, an actual size of a rabbit, but uh, made of chocolate. And I was like, wow, oh my God, so much chocolate. And I got it, I took it home. And uh, and then I, you know, began to try to eat it. And as I as I took it, and I squashed it, and, and I realized it was hollow. Oh, my God, it's hollow. It looks like it's a solid chocolate uh, rabbit, but it wasn't. It was it was um, hollow. So anyway, that's 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 kind of how, how, how I felt, you know, how I felt uh, without God in my life. I felt hollow, felt empty, um, just like there was nothing inside. All through my teenage years, and then eventually um, having... You know, tried tried this, tried that, tried practically everything, and my life had come to a point where I was having um, a lot of a lot of different problems, all like just coming to a head all at the same time. Um, financial problems, in debt. Uh, I was I was out of work. Um, 
I was having a lot of relationship problems, uh, especially with my, my parents being kind of very disrespectful towards them. And um, yeah, psychological problems, um, getting a lot of anxiety, social anxiety, agoraphobia, uh, I think is, is what they used to call social anxiety. And um, seemingly no way to solve all of these problems. And so I bumped, you know, I bumped into the monks, and um, and and I started praying, and and um, by praying, then uh, miraculously, uh, even though you know I I tried as hard as I could to solve these problems, I couldn't. I started praying, and and I, one by one, I saw them all just just vaporize and disappear, which 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 gave me a lot of faith that you know, God is God is real, and He has His hand. Um, in in the affairs of this world, and that if I try to dedicate myself to Him, He He will reciprocate and um, take care of me uh, better than I could take care of myself. I've tried and failed. I I couldn't do it. So yeah, it was a rejuvenating transformation. <clears throat> uh, prior, I felt empty and hollow, and 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 then. I felt, you know, whole again. I, God was inside me. God was within me, and you know, filling me with the joy, filling me with the joy that's our our birthright. All of our our birthright. It's natural for us to 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 feel happy and and to live a, a fulfilling, satisfying life. But it might require us to go through the school of hard knocks. But yeah, Silas, he's after he has that that rebirth, um, rebirthing experience, um, dedicating himself to the service of God, uh, and then yeah, it would appear he, he, he you know acts as a, a monk would and should for some years, and then and then he's he's asked to do these things. Um, you know, assassin, uh, become an uh, assassin, use his old skills that he says are, you know, still serviceable in the book. Um, and, uh, yeah, he becomes, he becomes a warrior monk, an assassin monk. And so that, that motif, you know, the, 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 the warrior monk is, a is, a, is, um, so you've got the Shaolin, the Shaolin monks are the same. And the Knights Templar also, they're also, warrior monks and there's a a lot of a lot of power a lot of power in that um usually a warrior is someone who's fighting for their own honor their glory or glory and for the for the wealth that they can accumulate you know as a result of winning a fight or a battle and that's their motivation it's a selfish motivation um but um uh, a monk, uh, on the other hand, you know, he's 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 already trained in renunciation. He's not fighting uh, for the same selfish motives uh, of of reward. He's he's already a monk. He's already trained in in detachment and uh, selflessness. So he's he's got an other motive. And in, for example, the Knights Templar, in theory, they're you know fighting. I mean, it's uh, you you could say it's uh, from our point of view, we would say it's um, the Crusades were a um, 
you know, a racist war or a, a, a clash of ethnicities. And, um, and, and in that way, you, you know, um, criticize uh, what went on in, in, in the name of uh, religion. But um, from each individual's point of view, their participation, if, they, if they're doing it for the right motives, which is to please God, okay, that it might not be hold up to scrutiny and logic. But um, I think there's still some credibility to it. Fighting just in the name of religion isn't necessarily sufficient. The Bhagavad Gita is the story of Arjuna, who's um, a warrior, and Krishna, uh, God, is urging him to fight. Um, Krishna's done everything he can in his, in his, um, within his ability to make peace, to broker peace between the two, the two parties, but uh, nothing, nothing works. So, so even and and you know granting individual autonomy and free will to each individual person to make their own choices, he, he doesn't. Um, um, doesn't use his position as God to overpower pe person, people's personal choice. So in the end, it comes to war, and uh, Krishna urges urges Arjuna to fight. Um, he says, "Yeah, fight and 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 kill 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 these uh, fighters on the other other side of the battle, even though there is um, cousins, his his uh, teacher, his his." I think his great grandfather, Bhishma, um, to kill them, and and then he'll he and his 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 righteous brother, his eldest brother, will inherit the, the throne, and rule rule um, in righteousness as a godly king, a saintly king, rather than the um, the side who'd assumed the throne. Un, un, unrightly, they weren't the hares, but they'd assumed the throne. And uh, e evil-minded, it's described in the Bhagavad Gita. Evil-minded, um, Duryodhana is the name of the rival opposition king. And he was the story describes he was cruel and tried to murder his his uh, his cousins on so many occasions, Arjuna and Yudhisthira. Bhima, Nakul, Saha, Dave, uh, but each time it was, um, each murder attempt was was uh, thwarted and, and avoided, mainly by Krishna's intervention, until it came to the point of uh, a, a war. So um, there's, you know, within Christianity, there's uh, the pacifist tra tradition of, of Tolstoy, who um, he informed Mahatma Gandhi and. Martin Luther King, there's the you know the turn the other cheek um, theology of Christianity, which is something that I've, I've I feel I've I've practiced myself in you know receiving abuse um, and not complaining, not protesting, and uh, continuing to accept abuse for many years and just turning the other cheek and um, you know let me be the 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 punch bag, the the stone, you know, that you need to break yourself on 
and I'll just accept accept this and tolerate it and continue to tolerate it again and again and again. So yeah, I feel there's a great power in that, a great power in the ability to accept um, and tolerate and just turn the other cheek. Um, if someone hits you on the left side of your face, turn your face and say, come on, hit me on the right side of your face. If uh, someone begs you for your shirt, give them your jacket as well. If someone begs you for uh, a meal, invite them in and let them stay the night. Because, yeah, people people need support and people need help. And um, if somebody's, for example, a, like a bully or a mean person, then they, they, need, they need love and they need attention and they need to be healed. That's what they need. They, they're kind of crying out for, um, for help for the, for their own lack feeling of lack of something. And they need, um, to be, um, nourished and loved and supported. It's true. And it's unavoidable and people will continue to behave like that until they actually get the, get the, the, the love. And that's it. That's, that's God, that's God, that's God acting through their community to support to support them um, and show that God loves them and, and, and we love them and we're willing to sacrifice ourselves to help help them. But in, in terms of <clears throat> the uh, Hindu theology on um, uh, religious violence then uh, it, it says it says in, in scripture that um, only ever to defend the the poor the weak um um children old people uh women people who need to uh need to be protected to be defended then it's it's legitimate and it's it's uh bona fide to to um use violence to to protect to protect the innocent but not for any other reason, not for the acquisition of wealth or land or any other um, excuse, which um, unfortunately we see in today's world, governments are more than willing to wage war for the sake of material resources, whether it be oil or water or land, um, and, and, you know, people justifying you know the economic necessity to um, to secure these resources. You know for the maintenance of the status quo of a of a, a national economy or a global economy. But um, you know, yeah, theologically speaking, these are insufficient justifications um, and really uh, showing a, a a lack of a lack of education. In the value and the sanctity and the and the potential of human life, which is uh, worth so much more, and you know the the potential of what can be achieved in a human life is so much more than you know someone getting thrown into a, a battlefield as a as a cannon fodder. Yeah, you know, just uh, soak up some bullets. Um, yeah, it, it shows. Um, a, uh, a, a you know horrible lack of respect for human life on the part of um, you know governmental 
leadership. But yeah, I mean, you could argue that wars that have been fought today are to defend, you know, women and children, um, which are which are legitimate reasons to um, to make a stand and and, and fight. But um, yeah, you know, women women and children can be moved moved. You know, okay, refugees, but they moved out of war zones, and uh, you know, opposing national governments should be able to sit down and talk about these things. Cause, um, yeah, at the end of the day, you know, it's a realization I had when I mean, in the playground, I was like, we were five, six, seven, eight years old. I remember we used to fight a lot. We used to fight a lot in the playground, scrapping with each other, the boys, you know, fighting with each other. And then we moved up, you know, to the next school, to the next school, to like the big school. And one of the dinner ladies, she said, right, now you're now you're moving up to the big school. Now you've got to be, behave like grown-ups. And, you know, no more, no, none of all this fighting, you know. Fighting is for, uh, for the cats and the dogs, for the animals. You know, humans, we have the ability to, we have language. Animals don't, you know, we've got the ability to express ourselves, to talk, to articulate ourselves and to and to come to some kind of compromise. Um, animals don't do that. That's why, they, that's why they've got to fight. You know, kids, kids and animals, they fight, but adults, uh, it, it's not, it's not necessary. It's not necessary. Only as a last resort. If there's an aggressor who's um, trying to kill uh, innocent women, children, and old people, but yeah, but then you've got Silas who's um, you know fighting to try to uh, acquire the Holy Grail or prevent the you know the the information of the supposedly real um, knowledge of what the Holy Grail is getting out into society at large. Uh, of course, it's a of course it's a fiction story, isn't it? But um, you've got um, you've got the Knights Templar, and, and of course the Priory of Sion is supposedly you know uh, the part of the or according to Dan Brown the original intention of the Knights Templar, um, and and that and then that and, that, and it, it goes for the Knights Templar as well. Um, that was their downfall. That yeah, I always think that religious organizations or religious people individuals mainly yeah not organizations religious individuals best to stay clear of wealth land power it's not it's not the domain of uh religious people uh, and 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 of course that was the downfall of the knights templar wasn't it they became so rich and powerful uh and invented um international banking uh, and became uh, for a, an order of monks to be, you know, they became wealthy, uh, owning land, powerful, and then they were seen as 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 uh, not as servants of the Vatican, but as rivals. And and I think that was why they wanted to get rid of them. Um, but of course, the Vatican itself, you know, as a as a um, a, a power wielding. Um, government authority um also uh, you know not not a good mix you know supposedly religion 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 
religious people mixing it up with power and land and, and it's a recipe of disaster you know hypocrisy corruption um and in um so yeah in in the the, the vatican and in my own organized hindu organization as well there's um a lot of hierarchy and um yeah you know bishops cardinals priests different ranks um but i'm not in i'm not in favor of that i'm not in favor of that. i'm more of an anarchist myself especially when it comes to um organized religion there's a, a it's not there's a hindu so hindu sociology or you know hindu social system um it's not the caste system because uh um we're unequivocally opposed to um you know caste by birthright it's it's it says in bhagavad gita um there's a verse that says guna karma which means by your qualities of your of your work not janma karma would be your birth by your birth you get your work no it's by your by your qualities like a like nobody expects that a the son of a high court judge is automatically qualified to be a high court judge. I mean, that's why people don't like um, like the monarchy in the UK because you know what qualifications do they have to be uh, to have any position of authority um, just solely on the basis of being born in a particular family. Uh, that's why you know there was the civil war and they had the uh, you know the parliament became prominent because at, at least in theory that the idea is that people should have some qualifications and show some leadership um qualities and then and then on the basis of that not on birthright but on the basis of their um qualifications they could take up a position of leadership in society so in his hinduism you've got this uh called the the four varnas it's not the caste it's but the um, so the four the four different uh, sections of society would be the the Brahmins, um, the Kshatriyas, Vai and Vaishyas. So there's three there, three sections. And there's criticism that this archaic and old-fashioned, but they they relate to um, the Brahmin is in modern society is intelligentsia, the Kshatriya is uh, the state. Um, and the Vaisha is the economy so there's, that's a, a modern understanding we have the intelligentsia the state and the economy and by understanding the Dharma or duty of each of these sections what their, what their responsibilities are and what their powers are and how they relate to each other then um, we can understand that Religious people are meant to be members of the intelligentsia, of which uh, anarchy is the ruling um, ideology, not hierarchical authority, which belongs to the domain of the state and the military. It's said that a, a Brahmin, uh, a member of the the Hindu intelligentsia, he's a he's a teacher, but unlike teachers today. He should never accept a wage because by accepting um, a regular income from somebody, they can influence influence what he has to say. He can be bribed. Um, 
a Brahmin has to live only by one-off charitable donations. So the, um, they, they, they're free to say whatever they want to say and, and speak their own truth, that which they've, they, they've realized for themselves. But this ties into the, to the history of you know, medieval Europe with, um, with the Cathars, the Cathars who were part of the, um, who were part of allegedly keepers of, of the, some of the grail, um, information and with whom the Vatican launched a, a, a crusade against them. So the, the Cathars, um, believed in equality of the sexes, um, and believed in reincarnation and believed in some kind of heretical form of dualism, although uh, dualism as in good and evil, um, moral dualism. And for that, they were um, attacked attacked by the army of the Vatican. But the, uh, the Cathars trace their origins back to the Waldensians, um, another... Uh, proto-Protestant um, church in sort of north central Europe, and 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 the Waldensians they trace their origins back to the Bogomils. And if you've not heard of the Bogomils before, then uh, I was introduced to Bogomils because uh, my wife is Bulgarian, and people from Bulgaria are very proud of the fact that these real serious, you know, um, austere sincere religious um, people uh, were knocking about in Bulgaria back in the day, the Bogomils, which, and they, it was their teachings that went on to become the Waldensians, went on to become the Cathars. And one of the reasons they were also um, penalized and persecuted is because they didn't respect the authority of the Vatican church. We don't, you know, we don't respect the, this kind of authoritarian, hierarchical structure uh, they said no we'll 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 choose for ourselves who who who's going to speak you know the, the vatican was like no we're, we're going to tell you who's who's allowed to to you know give the sermon and uh, and but they were no 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 we'll we, we'll we'll decide ourselves they, they wouldn't accept uh that um they wouldn't bow down to that authority that's so that's they were anarchists so this is this is the Dharma. This is the true Dharma of religious people. Is um, is a we serve God and we serve we serve God alone and you know let God be my judge. You know, okay, man, you can judge me, but I know and I you know I have no doubt, I have complete faith that in the end it's God who will be my judge and and no other. And this was a big part of the Protestant thing as well. It's it's you know they wanted to bow down to God and not to their government. In in Scotland too, um, where I live today, uh, there was a group called the Covenanters who who were um, just groups of Christians uh, who were, I think there was a, it was a new Catholic king who took the throne in Scotland and he said, I'm the king of the land and I'm also the head of the church here as well. And and, and these people said, no, 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 you're, you're the, the head of the, the government uh, of the the nation state but you're not you're not you know the sovereign of our church you know we bow down to to Jesus or or to God and um and so the the government forces tried to 
stop these these congregations and they have to, they'd have to go off into the hills and they'd have their church service hiding in the in the hills and um the the, the government soldiers would try and find them and hunt them down and attack them and they'd you know have a pitch they'd have their pitchforks and farming implements to try and defend themselves and um so yeah there's a good a, a good a good um tradition of independent thinking within monasteries um it, it also in the you know in, in the chinese invasion of tibet the monasteries were you know resistant and um if not if not in in by force but in in thinking they were resistant to the point of martyrdom that they prefer to die than to you know submit to uh, a national authority yeah but um yeah some of the other topics uh that come up in the da vinci code book um there's one bit where the, he says that uh he's talking about the the church of saint sulspice in um in paris and uh dan brown says oh, and it was built on the ruins of a much older and more ancient temple of the egyptian goddess isis who is understood to be the kind of personification of the material energy or the you know mother earth the personification of the material world when i was getting into um paganism myself um in my early 20s um then uh i, I joined a druid group and um you know M mother earth father sky that was a, a differentiation that was made and i think it's it's i think it's known and it's accepted that a lot of holy sites especially you know churches chapels where there's a, a church or a chapel especially in the countryside built were built there now then it, it it was previously it was already a a holy place um and in yeah i think in quite a few church churches churchyards then there's a lot of really old yew trees and the yew trees are older than the church building itself and and prior to you know the erection of the church it was a pagan site of which the yew trees were planted in 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 honor of it being a, a holy place for the pagans not only um the adoption or well i don't i don't, I don't know to, to, to what degree it was done forcibly or if it was a some kind of natural organic progression um i wasn't there at the time i don't know how the christian preachers approached it but um, yeah not just the adoption of sites but also the adoption of festivals i mean that's even more blatantly obvious um things like uh um easter bunnies and the rolling yeah easter bunnies and eggs associated with easter nothing at all to do with christianity all to do with the previous pagan um symbology similarly christmas um you've got uh, a lot of um pagan pagan stuff going on there i mean we used to go out and get absolutely uh, um, get absolutely wanked uh, and and that was the um, the the, the that's how people celebrated saturnalia worship of saturn i think this mithras the roman god mithras that's maybe how they worshiped mithras too the god, god roman god of the sun 
and in the Nordic states as well, the Yule, uh, Yuletide celebration was um, staying in and just getting completely blitzed, completely drunk for a few days. So um, we're inheriting that tradition, you know, that's the, these things that we do, we have to look at them and say, yeah, we're, you know, why do we do what we do? Uh, it's, it's, it's very little to do with Christianity and it's our pagan roots, you know, you, they say it's uh, they say you know they say you know the UK it's a Christian country I I, I challenge that I, I I don't think we've you know okay there's a lot of empty churches at one point they were full but um just the the momentum and the weight of the pre-Christian paganism just just carries just carries through um like a like a juggernaut you know like a like a big heavy moving object that's impossible to, to stop um, like uh, we celebrate uh, bonfire night and Halloween um, these these pagan festivals that I don't know how long thousands and thousands of years that, that those those events have been going on every year and they're still going on uh, and they're well attended by um, by the people so that, that says to me, that says these people are pagans, you know. Okay, you've got the neo-pagans who, you know, join, join together and dress up in, you know, witches' costumes or um, some other kind of robes and, and try to act the part of being a, a bona fide kind of, you know, respected what you want to see a religion doing. Uh, but it seems like they're just playing the part, and, and and actually just by regular ordinary folk like going to bonfire night, that that is itself the the the, the practice of you know recognizing and, and celebrating a pagan festival. Um, it's who we are. It's like intrinsic to our culture in the UK. Um, so yeah, we do. There's that whole period of the year, um, which uh, it's like in Mexico they have that Day of the Dead. And they say that this this period of the year, the Samhain is is the pagan name of it. You've got um, uh, Halloween, thirty first of October. Okay, that's a you know a full on recognition of you know ghosts and spirits and things. And then you've got Bonfire Night on November the fifth. And then you've got Remembrance Sunday. So it's all all about you know that um, transition and uh, recognize, recognizing and remembering the dead uh that it seems that within within you know older religions this was a time of year when that was done and it is still done it is still done today in our in our um, culture that you wouldn't ascribe uh, as being a christian label to it which kind of brings us on to the next topic which is devil worship, and I'm I'm kind of thinking aloud because I'm I'm still trying to figure this out. But um, you've got um, yeah, you've got um, you know the witch hunts. So Dan Brown says that there was uh, over well, over five million women killed over the space of about three hundred years, uh, accused of witches being witches or. Um, and a variety of things, including like worshiping the devil. So, the, de the how does the devil relate to Hinduism? Uh, in 
Hinduism, there is the, the figure of Durga, Durga, which is the same, the same as this Isis uh, god of the Egyptians. Um, that's, that's how they correlate uh, in the different pantheons. So she's, she's the, the nearest Hinduism has got to um, a devil. She's obviously she's not male, she's female. She's got a trident. And she's, she's married to Shiva, who uh, is adorned with necklaces and bracelets of snakes, and who lives in, in a. He smothers his body with the ashes of cremated corpses, and he's, he lives in a crematorium. So, so when um, you know Christian people first went to um, India, then they they identified him as a as a kind of devilish figure, um, and it, and his wife Durga is is more so more so um, the equivalent of a of a, of a Christ, uh, this Christian uh, idea of a devil. Being, being a a god who is who is tempting, um, tempting people to 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 engage in in sinful activities, and cajoling them to to, to do that. Um, the dif the difference being, I mean, I'm not an expert in Christian theology, so uh, I'm I, I um, I'm probably getting it probably getting it wrong, but um, at least I know that within within Hindu theology. Then uh, Durga is understood as God's servant, and and so she she said that she's a she's a devil, but she's serving God insofar as she she only wants to let people into God's kingdom who are ready, uh, and who aren't no longer attracted by the pleasures of the world. So she's offering those pleasures, and it's up to the person to decide: do I do I choose this? Do I choose sex? Do I choose um, wine and women and um, you know uh, do I choose do I choose all of that all of these worldly pleasures or am I am I uh, sufficiently uh, in love with God that I'm I'm not even attracted by these things anymore I'm like you know you can you can you can uh, keep you can keep your, uh, your your women and wine I've got I've got better things to do thanks very much. So I've got a quote here from one um, Hindu scholar. He's American-born. He's, he's a member of uh, my religious organization, Stephen Rosen. Stephen J. Rosen, if you want to look him up on um, Amazon or whatever. But he's got, this is a quote from one of his books. When people in India speak of a generic goddess, they're usually referring to one of many overlapping feminine divinities, Durga, Kali, Mahadevi, Maya Devi, the queen of the material energy, um, sometimes loving and kind, uh, often heroic, even sometimes bloodthirsty, the personification of the material energy. But when one doesn't acknowledge that God is in control, giving direction to Durga, the devil, in equivalent uh, in Christian iconography uh, and then then um, then the devil become Durga becomes Mahamaya the great illusion 
and the illusion is thinking that the material world uh, is is separate from God, and um, the, you know God has no jurisdiction here. Uh, God doesn't even exist, perhaps. Um, thinking that this material world is is uh, you know here for me to utilize it for my own enjoyment. This is the illusion when we you know no longer understand that you know the devil is or Durga is is under the direction of of God or Hindus call term God. Um, so yeah Mahamaya he becomes Mahamaya um, but if you understand is is supposedly correct the correct understanding is that um that the devil is working under the, the material world the, the personification of that Durga the devil is working under God's direction then we're in, then we're when we're enlightened and we see things as they are we say yeah okay you know this is the material world um I'm I'm residing here I'm living here I I got to make the best use of the bad bargain I got to uh, you know um, I, I need to get the things that I need to to carry on existing, but you know, let me utilize my my time and my life and my energy to serve God, and and utilize these things that I find here in the material world. Um, you let me use these, utilize them as, as they are intended in the service of God, in the service of you know that from whom they've come. And an example of that is is um. In Hinduism, there's a, a ritual of, of not just saying a prayer before you eat, but actually preparing the meal with in, in sacrifice. Um, say, you know, you make a prayer before you even start cooking, and say, "Look, I'm, I look, look, God, I'm, I'm, uh, I want to, I've collected these ingredients. You know, you have provided these ingredients, these vegetables, these uh, fruits, these." these different edible products you know you you've you've you know you've created the first seed you've provided the, the soil the rain the sun that's grown these, these foods so you know in, in gratitude and acknowledgement of that let me let me cook them nicely make a nice meal and then once it's ready let me put it in a, a dish and put it before the, the deity or the image of God uh, or his representative, the guru, um, and and say some prayers, offering it. This is for you. I've cooked this for you. I've made it for you. It's for you. It's not for me. It's it's for you. I've done it. I've, I'm trying to give my life and my time and my service to you, not for me. And and you say these prayers, and um and in that way, it's a sacrifice. And 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 the uh, ultimate success of that sacrifice would be that you know you you, you bow down, you say your prayers, and when you lift your head, it, it, it's not there. He, God's actually taken it. That would be one hundred percent success. And that's the attitude we try to cultivate. But um, more often than not, what happens is you lift your head after you've bowed down, saying your prayers, and the, the the meal is still there. God is kind. God is merciful. He's 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 given us a, you know, he's thrown us a bone. He's given us a little bit of something. So that we can, you know, sustain ourselves, keep our body and soul together for a little bit longer. Um, 
And another example <clears throat> that is 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 anything um, that's you know could be categorised as a material thing, which comes our way. We accept it, <clears throat> um, and we, you know, use our imagination. How can I use? How can I use this item to serve to serve God? Um, thereby transforming it from a material object into a spiritual object. And yeah, I mean, spirit spiritual, you know, is a is a very ambiguous word, um, which can you know, um, you know, ghosts and spirits as as, as well, but. For me, the word spiritual means anything which is connected to God. That's that's my own definition. So by using material things uh, to serve God, then they become themselves spiritual. And this is this is even the the goal of alchemy to um, this philosopher's stone to transform material things into spiritual things. An alchemical transformation. But it's done. It's done by ourselves. We do that. We can do that with our our intention and our desire to please God. Another great theme that runs through the Da Vinci Code is this um, relationship between science and religion. Um, the bishop, doesn't he? The Aaron Gosa. He he makes a statement. Aringarosa, yeah, he says, uh, you know, he questions it, doesn't he? What, what was the rationale for fusing science and faith? And he argues against, um, against, against it. Yeah, what I know of the uh, history of um, thoughts and education in Europe, as compared to that in India, is that. Um, yeah, you know, you had these, you know, intelligent people. I mean, the, yeah, the Greeks, you had the Greeks to begin with. Um, and, well, to begin with in the West. Um, and, and their their uh, knowledge was inherited by the Muslim world. Uh, and then later, it, that, that scientific knowledge came back into Europe um, with the, I think, with the Renaissance and so you've got uh, intelligent, uh, educated people um, not wanting to, you know, just just blindly comply with with church doctrine and you know church cosmology and um, so yeah, there's, there's there's conflict there. There's conflict there because you know because the 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 church at that time was this you know oppressive. Uh, almost fascist regime. You know, we've got these, um, the Inquisition searching out people who, you know, aren't towing the party line, aren't in full agreement, like, 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 uh, you know, like in uh, Nazi Germany and uh, communist Russia, uh, anyone who was thought differently was, you know, taken away to a gulag or a concentration camp. Um, and and that once you've instilled that fear that you know you could be uh, ostracized from society, taken away from your family by a few show trials and um, examples made of people, 
you know, once you've put that fear into people's minds, it's it just become well, it'd be it's just a horrible state, horrible state to be in. Like you know, not allowed to express yourselves. I mean, we take for granted living in uh, a liberal democracy. Um, the there is a, a a good degree of freedom of speech, um, and that's that's something we take for granted. Many of us not having ever experienced anything different. But to live under one of these kind of oppressive states must have been oh horrible, horrible. And and it seems like you know medieval Europe for a few hundred years was that kind of um, that kind of intellectual culture. So um, you know uh, anyone who's um, wanting to you know I mean okay it's, biology is a bit of a, a, a tough one you know they want to dig up some dead bodies. It's a pretty taboo thing, but that's eventually that's what they started doing, and especially in Edinburgh, uh, where uh, you know medicine, medicine, me- medical knowledge um, was was um, that's what they were trying to do, gain more medical knowledge. They were, that's what they were doing. It was the famous in the Burke and Hare. They were even um, <clears throat> murdering people so that they could sell their body to the medical department, and they'd get good money for it. <laughs> They couldn't wait for them to die naturally. <laughs> but other experiments that people might, you know, with optics and um, astronomy, other kind of things, uh, you know, the Inquisition, they might come around and they'll find all these, you know, uh, test tubes and you're trying to do some chemistry, um, like the kind of chemistry I would have done at school, you know, dis- discovered um, a secret laboratory and you get dragged dragged to the inquisition um and questioned uh so in this kind of um restrictive climate then um my understanding is that philosophy philosophy had to break away from religion and say look we're 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 not religion anymore we're philosophy we're uh, something else we're a different department um and uh, my understanding is that that because there wasn't the the oppressive uh like central religious authority um, putting that kind of pressure on people, then that kind of that division never happened in in um, in India. Philosophy and religion remained, you know, in completely interta- intertwined, interconnected, the same, the same. They were never separated, and to some degree, science as well. Um, the likes of uh, Newton uh, uh, are famous for acknowledging um, the existence of God uh, but I don't know to what degree that that is just um, lip service you know to to keep the powers that be those religious authorities happy so that he can you know continue with his um, study of of the material um, elements and the forces that move them and of course you know we hear um, religionists lament for a, a period of time when when you know religion was was in the ascendant and this kind of you know science was was um you know not as powerful and and, and now the tables have turned um and the tables have turned and and scientists are respected and honored within society and and religionists 
less so um and and in you know some cases kind of put down and put in the place and um and and people cast out over uh, the relevance and um applicability of of religion in today's world but yeah i remember once giving a giving a little class i was asked to give a class in the temple room probably about 10 years ago or so and uh you know i was i was cr- criticizing um the sign the scientists because you know when they when they for when they they step out of their own um area of expertise um you know like for example you've got richard dawkins isn't it and he's a zoologist so i mean the idea is and it's the same with a lot of other scientists as well is that the idea is that if you know you're an you're an expert in your specific area, uh, so you're you know well within your rights to to you know lecture on that subject and articulate and speak about it, um, and you know even um, you know extend your own theories in that area of knowledge. But what what we see today, I mean, and 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 you know, I go down the local uh, high street bookshop, uh, like a Waterstones or somewhere like that, and there's uh, there's a lot of scientists who you know, people who have a, a, an academic science background, but then they're writing about philosophy, and they're writing about you know their theories about the origins of the world and the universe and and um, it's and and maybe it's beyond their beyond their field of expertise to speculate. You know, uh, God do, does God exist? It's not a it's not really a scientific question, does it? I mean, there's there's um, yeah. One of my teachers, um, uh, he's a great chap actually. Um, he's called a candidate. Um, I'll spell that for you. I think I think it's A K H A N a can. D, maybe maybe D H I D I, I think, but um yeah he's got a great uh series of lectures called the Atma Paradigm, and in there he he he, he explains you know that yeah science it's it's limited its scope, so that it can be accurate within its parameters, which is which is what it what it is. Uh, and my experience within um. Studying philosophy at university, University of Liverpool, a uh, bachelor's degree for three years, is that within academic circles, well, especially the time I was, I was there. It may have changed now. Um, a candidate tells me that uh, panpsychism is gaining in popularity, but when I was uh, moving in those circles um, twenty years ago, uh, 21, 22, 23 years ago, then. Yeah, physicalism, reductionism, um, materialism, skepticism. Uh, these were these were the predominant ideologies um, of you know reducing all phenomena to 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 uh, physical properties and forces acting between them, and skepticism that there's anything else beyond that. But of course, that's philosophy. It's not science. That's that's a philosoph- philosophical point of view. Um, whether you try to justify it with empiricism, um, it's it's philosophy, and philosophy is, you know, it's it is 
philosophy is inherently it's uh, abstract it's uh, ephemeral it's theoretical but these these are the basics basic foundations on which we go on to build other edifices of knowledge but yeah I was giving that little talk in the temple that day and there was um uh, a chap a friend of mine he was in he was he was in the class listening and he was a scientist himself working in a laboratory um helping with i think making vaccines in uh, a medical laboratory and he didn't like what, what i had to say uh and, and and he said no i think that you know we don't need to criticize science um and that really isn't what I intended to do. All, all credits to the scientists and their achievements and um, the, the mastery they've gained over, over the material elements um, in uh, all, all, all spheres of, of scientific inquiry and uh, achievement. Um, but yeah, he, he, my friend, he said that, you know, the, the you know, uh, symbiosis and, the fusion of, of science and religion or, you know, re, a refusion, you know, because like, like, like we've already said, you know, um, in India, the, these things were combined and, you know, India's, India's, okay, modern Indologists will argue and contend it, but um, from a non-colonial, non-prejudiced point of view, then India is the origin of the, of the knowledge of the Greeks. So, you know, our Western, we're proud of our, our, our Westernisms, um, but our, 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 uh, civil edifice, our civilization is, is, is coming from India and there the, the, you know, the, the science and the philosophy and the religion, um, are in tandem and no amount of increase in expertise and knowledge is in um, in contradiction with with um, uh, it's not against in a, not against God. The only yeah, it's not against God. The only the only contention is is that um, it's like uh, Spider Man. It's like Spider Man says, with great power comes great responsibility. So as um, scientists in their skill and ability to manipulate material energy become more and more powerful. The, the question is, you know, is, is morality maintained? I mean, I've got, I've got a, an example. An example is, um, we have, uh, we have a, a need in our society for oil, uh, to maintain our economy and maintain the status quo, maintain stability. So there's a need for oil and oil seems oil supplies are, are running so low that, uh, with many places around the world are taking up fracking fracking and um, it somehow involves some kind of smashing of the ground and disturbing the water table and releasing a lot of pollution into the ground re rendering the land no longer suitable endpoint in the future for farming uh, which it may previously have been used for but very destructive uh, and and a lot of people are protesting against it, you know, uh, for obvious reasons. So so my point is that you know, very intelligent, um, very uh, incredibly talented engineers, people involved involved uh, in, in in this practice and discovering, you know, how to go about it and how to 
you know, get get the result they want out of it. But the question is, it, okay, they, they 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 can do it, but should they do it? You know, and what what mo what 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 what's driving them? And you know, well, I mean, I won't. I'm not the first person to 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 point out the corruption of science. Um, you know, um, a lot of people accuse the religionists of being corrupt, hypo hypocritical, and science to be in the same way the religion once was. You know, beyond um, beyond criticism. You know. But um, yeah, funded by industry and business interests, then you know these these powers and these abilities that are developed in in university and engineering and other science departments, then things like fracking can can take place at the long term detriment of of the environment and 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 the land um, for uh, you know the profit of um some you know privately owned businesses which which at the end of the day they're, they're trying to raise their you know their share capital on the stock exchange um it's a short-term goal so this reconnection of uh science and religion is is on the basis of um you know science providing the know-how and religion um providing the Kind of the why and the um, and the and the, you know should we should we do it the morality um, to to sum up in a nutshell you know the science is the best um, is 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 bring is um, yeah science our, our modern science led world seems to have. Um, forgotten what i feel is 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 um the message of religion you know this our modern world it, it seems like the most important thing is is the is the intelligence and people are you know the, the clever you are the better you are and uh you know it doesn't matter if 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 you if you if you're you know you trample over some other people and you you know there's what about so this is the message of religion kindness love compassion that's why i mean that's why i'm i'm speaking on behalf of religion as a, an advocate of religion i have been a monk uh, you know you shouldn't expect me to say anything else but i i think the religion still has something to offer modern society and it's something that is lacking and it's something that's really important and yeah all credit to science for um, achieving all the things it's achieved but let's not forget that even more important than intelligence is love, the ability to give and offer love to our fellow human beings and to God. And uh, yeah, you've got this, there's a, a particular passage in uh, in the film uh, of the Da Vinci Code where I get a, I get a sense of, of kind of, there's a sense of the the we as in the entirety of of the human species progressing and advancing through science and through the achievements that we make for example Newton was at the forefront of that and it's so exciting to be at the forefront of science like today in genetics and things like this you know uh 
It's so exciting, and, 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 it, and it takes you back, you know, with the rose line, with the the mapping of the of the world, and how exciting it was to to think at that time to be, a, you know, uh, similarly at the forefront of the 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 achievements, the collective achievement of the whole human race. But there's an important lesson um, which I learned when I was I was in the Scouts, and we were going um, walking up uh, a hill. Um, with our rucksacks on, there was there was a group of three of us, and there was me, my friend, and then there was this other guy, and he was the son of my of my teacher at school, and I didn't like my teacher, and I didn't like him either, and me and my friend, we walked up this hill, and we we left this guy behind, and he was, and training behind, and when I got back, uh, back to the car park in the bottom of the valley, the scout leader, he he uh, chastised me, he 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 shouted at me, and. He, he 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 put it across. He said, "You know, whenever you're walking, you always have to walk at the speed of the slowest member of the group." And and uh, yeah, I mean, I I always say I learned more in the scouts than I did at school. And and this that's one of the important life lessons that I learned. And in in it and I scaled it up and I and I understood. Yeah, and it's the same with society. Whilst some you know members of society. Uh, flying off to the moon, flying off to Mars. You know, you've got to, the society to progress. It's all got to move at the speed of the slowest person, or you can, or or, in, or 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 at least you can't leave them behind. So whilst those people are jetting off to the moon, uh, or you know, thinking about how they're going to genetically modify some animals to for this reason or for that reason. And then at the same time, you've got the poorest, um, weakest, most suffering people in society who, who are neglected, who aren't looked after. And they're like, okay, well, we'll just forget about them. We're racing on ahead. You know, we're the clever ones. We're the advanced ones, you know. We're, we're the most evolved. No, no. The most highly evolved is is those who who have the most love to give, who have the most kindness the mo- to show, the most compassion to offer. Um, so that for me is a, is a mistake of the of the of the modern society is to is to get that wrong. Yeah, another. Um thing that comes up in the da vinci code is this topic of um of you know uh, sinister behind the scenes powers you know and and, and I, I think yeah it's uh, it's this this group of uh, vatican officials um who are meeting behind closed doors with their nefarious ill designs and plans um trying to you know extend their fingers and control uh, further than they should uh, out into society to manipulate things for their own purposes and ends this illuminati style conspiracy um conspiracy theory uh and yeah, I mean, I think there's, I think there's credence to it. Um, you know, there's national governments and there's corporations um, that are now more powerful than a lot of national governments. 
Um, so, uh, yeah, what what is what is good for the economy is assumed automatically is is best for the country. When actually that's not always the case. Uh, not sometimes it is, but sometimes it isn't. And this this idea that the you know the the, the uh, politicians voted in are the are the the face of it, um, whereas the real power lies uh, with people who aren't de- democratically elected and and who we don't we don't necessarily know who they are. For example, I mean the British economy is to some extent dependent on um, defence defence production. Um, yeah, there was a big British aerospace um, plant near where I used to live, and I actually had a friend. Uh, I used to go running together. Uh, he worked there, um, and there's other munitions factories as well. There was a huge, there was a huge place where I used to live. Chorley. It was called the Royal Ordnance Factory. It actually got closed down, and the land repurposed for other things, housing. But uh, and I know America uh, hugely dependent on the military-industrial uh, complex. Uh, so uh, yeah, that's the thing. You know, once you produce, once you build a factory that sells guns, uh, a, a factory works on on this kind of you know conveyor belt of you know you've got to keep you've got to keep selling them. You got to keep you you've got to keep your employees in in work, which means they need to keep making guns, which means you need to keep make, selling guns. Um, I read a book, it's called uh, Corporatocracy, uh, You Are a Slave of Invisible Masters, something like that. Uh, Sahadev is the author, S-A-H-A-D-E-V. He's also a member of the, the Hare Krishna organization. But uh, yeah, it was an interesting book. He, he quoted from one book, uh, Confessions of an American Hitman or something like that, uh, a CIA man who'd, who'd kind of come out and wrote his memoirs and said, you know, one time I was, that was me having to go into the, um, the president's office of some newly elected South American, uh, president and, 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 you know, put a briefcase on his desk with a full of, um, full of dollar bills, uh, and say, you know, just be kind, just be kind to my, friends from the oil company when they when they come around knocking <laughs> yeah and then they what do they do they uh, you know they bulldoze some villages and make way for progress um with some you know to keep the oil keep the oil flowing and if there aren't enough um sales you know coming in for the gun factories then the CIA will in, interfere and um, you know there's some rebel group you know uh, want to challenge a, a national government in, in you know the, somewhere in the Middle East or in Africa then they'll they'll back the rebel group uh, and, and either give them some guns for free and, and that means the the other side they, they're going to have to buy some guns now and you know everybody you know the sales increase so the factory stays open and the the employees stay in work and uh, uh, the American economy keeps on keeps on growing <laughs> but yeah what it boils down to is is this idea that the power uh, and you know some you know you imagine some Illuminati style group of 
powerful men meeting um, in a smoky room um, with their nefarious plans for like depopulation or whatever it is, whatever conspiracy you're into. Um, and they've got power over governments and the media and educational institutions. But, you know, what is that power? You know, it's a, the power to, to start a war, to destroy, to, to take life, to kill. I challenge, I challenge that. I say, I say, um, you know, what is power? What is, what is power? What is real power? Cause there's been, there's been lots of warmongers, you know, lots of warmongers in the past, uh, Caesar, Napoleon, Hitler, all these warmongers, um, and, uh, and they've all come and gone and they're all dead and buried. And in the next life, they'll get the just desserts. But what is, what is power? Um, in another smoky room, uh, and maybe it's not smoky with tobacco smoke or whatever kind of smoke the Illuminati is smoking, it's incense. And um, there's people sitting there similarly making plans, but they're, they're making plans of how they can help other people, how they can serve the poor, how they can alleviate the suffering of their fellow fellow humanity, how to how to feed the hungry, how to how to clothe the naked, how to um, how to you know collaborate with their very few and limited resources, um, unlike the Illuminati with the seemingly unlimited resources. But these these guys have just got few resources. But they're, they're, they're making their plans to try to help others. And that's my experience. That's my experience of um, working uh, at this, this little monastery. It's up a back road, out the back of beyond, in some obscure Scottish village up a hill. Hardly anybody knows it's there. Um, um, and, uh, yeah, but we just carry on doing what we're doing, practicing our Hindu faith um and we get we get a, young, a lot of young people were open for gardening volunteers and i've been working in the gardens there for many years and uh yeah we get we get a lot of young people coming up um backpackers students they arrive either hitchhiking or they come on the bus and uh sometimes you pick them up from the bus stop or they just walk up walk up the hill might get lost on the way to find the way up and then we we take them in we take them in and um you know they come put them under our wing and look after them and a lot of them come with um well a lot of them come are tired they're tired and they're weary they they've they don't know what direction to take it's a place to have a little break and um you know we keep them busy in the garden but it's you know um a change is as uh good as um What's that? What's that phrase? Uh, a change is good as a rest, and um, people come. We've had you know people with with depression, and but they they come and they they get a little um, they get a little respite, uh, a retreat. It's a retreat center, and they get a chance to think. You know, what do I really want to do with myself? And they can join in with the meditation and come to some music sessions and um 
really just reflect, so have some time to reflect on, um, you know, their what they want to achieve and, and their approach uh, to life. So if after they've been been on the working on the farm, staying at the monastery for two or three months or however long they stay for, and they and they and it's time for them to go, and they look a little bit happier and a little bit more positive, then that's us done a good job, and 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 uh, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying this this ability to inspire, to to breathe life into, you know, breathe new life into old bones to. Uh, give someone a new lease of life and and uh i'm saying i'm saying this is this is power this is power not the ability to kill to wage war to take life the ability to give life to breathe life to inspire this is this is power this is power these illuminati guys ah they can you know schmucks they can they can do whatever they want to do keep their keep their plans but at the same time Myself and other little groups of, you know, people running retreats here, there, up the side of a mountain, down the back of a forest. These are the places you've got to search out and find out the cool people who are, who are doing the cool, doing the, doing the God's work, doing God's work. And in the towns and cities too, in the little drop-in places where there's you know, you're welcomed and you, you know, they bring you in and they sit you down, they give you, they give you something to eat and, you know, they, they treat you well, these places. Um, and there's good people, these, these good people, um, these are, these are the, this is where the power lies. This is the real power. But there's more, there's more to discuss. Um, but, uh, but yeah, but, um, but for those, we'll do another podcast. But in conclusion, I'd like to say thank you for listening, especially if you've, you know, got this far right to the end of the podcast. Um, and I'd just like to say that, yeah, in, in watching the Da Vinci Code film and reading the book, it gave me a kind of timeless, yeah, a kind of, a kind of an overview, a perspective of overview of, you know, two thousand years of of collective achievement and his, the history of of, of particularly European um, European culture and Hur- European people, um, and and in in a way that it that it made it made um, you know today's you know news and headlines appear trivial. That there is there is a uh, a deeper and more um, profound, um, profound current, um, a, 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 and, a, and a sense that there's a you know there is some kind of guiding force um, acting, acting um, in 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 society, and and you know, and I find Dan Brown asking that question. You know, is is uh, a more deeper, more important divine purpose to a human life, you know, more than just the case of going through the motions, paying your mortgage, <clears throat> paying your rent, looking after your family and doing all of these 
whilst we do have to honour all of these responsibilities and perform all of these uh, duties, um, at the same time, we don't want to neglect that there is a divine, um, a divine purpose intrinsically in those things that we that we might just be doing, going through the motions, and that um, and that beyond those as well, we don't want to, yeah, we don't want to forget that you know we can do those things in service of God. Yeah, because per, performing these duties is is part of our our journey, uh, and that's another motif in Da Vinci Code, which is as a part when uh, Tom Hanks in the film uh, he's he's passed a series of tests, and it's kind of understood and acknowledged that then he becomes. Um, becomes uh worthy it's as though he, he becomes um he himself then gains the status that i am a knight i'm a knight now uh a man of honor capable of being a worthy husband and a just father to fulfill that role that has been bestowed upon me as a a blessing from god and at that point then I, I perceived that then it, it, it seemed to me that then at that point it said that the end, well yeah then now now there's the potential that the that they could have a relationship that um, Tom Hanks could could be have uh, become the lover or the husband of um, Sophie who is the princess which would which would make Tom Hanks which would make him the king. So, so by honouring our responsibilities and duties, we make um, progress and advance towards our ultimate goal. And our ultimate goal is to completely surrender to God. But that might be something where you know, too, too like way beyond our comfort zone. And yeah, I've I've had experience of you know putting myself way beyond my comfort zone, and it's been a complete disaster. So we have to build ourselves up gradually uh, to come to that point of um, of complete surrender. Savadamam pritjaja mamme kam sharanam baja aham tam savapape bio mokshami masucha. That's a verse from the Bhagavad Gita, uh, chapter eighteen, text sixty six. And it's a conclusion, you see. That's it's it's right at the end, so it's a conclusion that um, you know, have after having read all of the other information, and Krishna gives all the different other options, and then the final one is that he gives this option: just abandon all of the all of the duties. And and for me, this is this is you know the position that comes at the end of life, um, when. Um, other, other, um, all of the like loose ends have been tied up. You've crossed your T's and you've you know dotted all your I's and uh, everything's wound up nicely, fulfilled all of your obligations, and then you're ready to surrender. 
to God fully and completely. And in that sense, all of the all of these other dharmas and obligations are, are of a, a lower category. The highest and ultimate um, dharma is just to serve and surrender to God. Abandon all varieties of dharma and just surrender unto me. I shall deliver you. Do not fear. That's what that's what Krishna says. So we're going to stop there. Uh, thank you so much for listening, and uh, I'll do another podcast as soon as I get a chance. Thank you.